Well, before jumping into Luke this morning, I feel the need to address something that came up during the week that I feel is important that we talk about. Uh, did you hear Laurel or Yanny? Right, how many of you heard Laurel? All right, how many of you heard Yanny? How many of you are so old you have no idea what I'm talking about? Oh, right, there you go. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Wow. Okay, here's what's crazy about that. I mean, the whole thing was weird, right? But one of the things that was interesting in the midst of it is to watch how much that overtook our society, right? Like that locked us down for a good couple days. Now, in a week's time, it's gone. It's forgotten. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth, after his resurrection, and we are still talking about him. He has shelf life. He has staying power. Luke says this changes everything. And we saw that this morning, not only in this service, but all three services, we're seeing 17 people say, I belong to Jesus, he belongs to me. Their lives have been changed, not by a new religion, not by a set of moral rules, but they have had a real encounter with a real and risen living Savior. He's changed their lives. And, and they wanted me to let you know that each and every one of them, before they came to Christ, they heard Laurel. But now they hear, now you know my team, but there it is. Uh, that's not true. Here's, here's what is true. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on the move throughout history, around the world. He's on the move in Redemption Chapel. He's in the, on the move in individual lives. And what we're going to see in Luke this morning, Jesus starts to be on the move. So we're going to see his ministry begin today. We start in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Okay, he returned. What did he return from? Well, remember, he was baptized, and then he did the wilderness temptation thing. And that was kind of the end of his preparation period. Now he is launching into his ministry. He's about 30 years old. And then what we see is he begins as an itinerant preacher or an itinerant rabbi. He's going around these towns in Galilee. Now that's the northern part of Israel. These little backwater towns. He's stopping one after another teaching as he goes through there. These little towns, I mean, little, little villages, they would have a synagogue as long as they had 10 Jewish men. They would have a synagogue. But, but they were so small, they didn't have enough to pay like a full-time rabbi or something like that. And so when they gathered in worship, they would bring out one of the scrolls of the, what we call the Old Testament. They would just say the scriptures. And they would read from it and worship. But if there was a, a rabbi passing through, they would ask that visiting rabbi, hey, would you preach? Basically, would you give a message on that passage? And this is what Jesus began doing as he goes throughout Galilee. Now, he comes to his hometown of Nazareth as he's going along, and that's where we pick up the story in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love this passage out of Isaiah about Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a bit here. But first I want to begin with a sidebar on the Holy Spirit because look where where this passage begins. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You need to know Luke has a big emphasis on the Holy Spirit. More than the other three gospel writers, Luke talks about the Holy Spirit twice as often as they do. He's already mentioned the Holy Spirit eight times in just three and a half chapters. We'll read the Spirit's name twice in our passage this morning. Luke has a point to make here. But the problem is, every time we come to a passage, it's just this little tack-on, little. it seems like a garnish or an embellishment. Like, isn't that nice? Luke mentioned the Spirit. Now let's get to the real point of the passage. And we can just gloss over it. We can just skip over it. But Luke is making a point about the life of Jesus here. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. Not because he was God, but because he was full of the Spirit. Look, it wasn't that Jesus had an S on his chest. It was that he had the Holy Spirit within him. And Luke emphasizes that to us over and over and over. And you say, well, wait a minute, time out. How did he do all this miraculous stuff? Isn't it because he was God? Didn't the apostles do miraculous things as well? Were they God? No, they did it through the Spirit. And so here Jesus is, the second Adam, the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He's filled with the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He's in the power of the Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit working out through the ministry of Christ. This is very important to us as a church today because God has given us a mission and we dare not forget the Holy Spirit as we go about it. Pastor and author, David Platt had this to say. It's a great quote. He said, The great hindrance to the advancement of the gospel to the nations today may be the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the Spirit of God. Not the self-indulgent immorality of our culture, but the self-sufficient mentality of the church. You see, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's not a throwaway phrase. That, that's the foundation that sets everything else up. It's very, very important. And so it sets up the rest of this quote from Isaiah. And I want to look at this with you because it's a great passage. I love this passage. Let your eyes skim over. Look what it says. This is a quote from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Jesus made a little borrow from 58 verse 6. As you look at that, that's his mission statement. That's about my Lord. That's my King. That's my Savior. That's my Jesus. That's who he is. And I think this is his mission statement. Remember, we as a church studied through Acts. Remember, Dr. Luke wrote two volumes, a two-volume work. He wrote Luke and Acts. We've already gone through Acts. And if you remember the beginning of Acts, Luke gave us a statement that set up all of Acts. Remember that? Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to them, You shall receive power when my spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that became an outline for for the book of Acts. I believe Luke is doing the same thing here. 
at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he is allowing us to see from Isaiah's writings the mission statement of the Messiah. And here it is. It's all about Jesus. He will be full of the Holy Spirit. And he has good news for the poor. He proclaims liberty for captives and for the oppressed. He will give sight to the blind. And he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Now think about that. So often we think that God is against us. God's out to get us. God doesn't like us. God's a cosmic killjoy. And here is Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to proclaim favor, grace, mercy, blessing. That's why I'm here. That's our Savior. Now all that favor is going to those who really need it. Like I've told you already, one of the emphases in Luke's gospel is on the needy, the outcast, the marginalized, kind of the outsider, those who think they're outside of God's favor find out they're in God's favor. And that is on display right here. As he talks about the the poor and the captive, the, the blind. Now, one of the questions that comes up in this passage, is Jesus and Isaiah, is Jesus talking about literal poverty, like material, physical poverty? Or is he talking about metaphoric or spiritual poverty? And some who argue for liberation theology would use this passage, and I think wrongly. Jesus is absolutely concerned about the truly material poor, but I don't think that's what's being talked about in this passage. I think it's actually spiritual or metaphoric poverty. Let me show you that. It talks in there about the fact that Jesus has come to give sight to the blind. How often did he do that? I mean, he definitely did it, but he didn't do it a lot. And so if this is to sum up the ministry of the Messiah. He fell a little short unless, unless he's talking about giving spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. Oh, he did that a lot, a whole lot. What about uh, setting literal captives free? Do you guys remember that passage in the gospel where Jesus released that guy from prison? Yeah, neither do I. Because it's not in there. (laughs) So if Jesus came to set captives free, he didn't do it. Unless. Unless it was about setting spiritual captives free from spiritual captivity. And oh, that he did a whole lot of, a whole lot. What about liberating the oppressed? See, the Jew, when, when the Jew would hear this, they would think, great, the Messiah is coming and he will liberate us from Roman oppression because we are occupied by Rome and we're oppressed by Rome. Now, when Jesus died, had he liberated them from Roman oppression? No. Jesus didn't kill Rome. Rome killed Jesus. And when he rose from the dead and ascended, Jews were still under Roman oppression. He didn't pull it off. Unless... It's about spiritual oppression. Jesus set a lot of people free from that. So it says that he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, think about that for a moment. What is good news to poor people? I mean, like really poor people. Like you, in America, we, we struggle to know poverty like the world knows poverty. Good news to the poor is food, clothing, and shelter. It's where to find a soup kitchen. Jesus didn't come with that news. 
He came with news about his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus' news had a lot to do with a cross and an empty tomb. It wasn't about a food drive, though that is a good ministry, but that is not the point of this passage. What is the point of the passage? Here it is. You must view yourself as poor, blind, and captive, or Jesus can't help you at all. You've got to view yourself as poor, meaning you can't buy favor with God. See, we think we're rich towards God, right? And God kind of needs our, our stuff. And so we're going to donate to God. I'll come to church and give God a little bit of money. I'll come to church and give God a little bit of service. And so I'm the benefactor and God is the beneficiary and I'm rich and he's poor and I'm going to hook God up. No, 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 no. You got to understand, you are poor. You are absolutely broken. You need his charity. You need his mercy. You need his grace. You are poor. And you're blind. You can't see. You are spiritually lost. You can't find your way. You can't heal yourself. Your only hope is that the Messiah comes and blesses you with spiritual sight. And you are a captive. You are completely beaten and in chains by the evil one. And your only hope is the Messiah comes and sets you free. Now, this is great news. That Jesus did this for us. This changes everything. And it is good news. It is good news for the literally, truly, physically, materially poor. It's good news for them. And here's why. Because the rich have a really hard time receiving it. Not always, but oftentimes, rich folks have a difficult time viewing themselves as poor and as blind and as captive because they think I'm set. I got all these worldly blessings. I'm, 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 I did it myself. I earned it. I deserve it. I'm owed it. I'm entitled to it. I'm not needy. I'm not poor, blind, and captive. I, I don't feel like I need much from God. And they have a real hard time, therefore, receiving the good news of the gospel. Whereas poor people, by comparison, tend to have an easier time seeing themselves as poor, blind, and captive. And they receive the gospel at greater numbers. So yeah, it is difficult for rich people to respond to the gospel. And by the way, that's rich people, not only those who are rich in money, but also those who are rich in religion. And that'll come up in just a second. But first, first they're going to love Jesus. They're going to become fans of Jesus. They are Jesus fans. Look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 21. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. One thing that we catch from that, did you notice Jesus sat to teach? That's actually how rabbinic teaching went. It's the opposite of what we do today. Rabbis would sit to teach. More often than not, preachers today like to stand to preach, okay? What I want you to glean from that is this. Jesus sat to teach. Rick sits to teach. Jared stands to teach. What do you do with that? I don't know. You interpret that on your own, okay? That is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that Jesus is the Messiah. 
He reads this messianic passage from Isaiah 61, sits down and has the gall to say today this is fulfilled in your presence. He's saying, I'm here, y'all. The Messiah has arrived. That's huge. Plus, he gave a one-sentence sermon. Wouldn't you like that? Not going to happen. So he says, I'm here, and they love it. They, a hometown boy makes good. A boy from Nazareth. Our town is the Messiah. And listen to him preach. Oh, it's awesome. We love Jesus. But that's about to change. And it changes hard and fast. Look at this. Picking it up in verse 22. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. What happened? Whoa, how, man, that turned fast, didn't it? There's an old adage that when a pastor takes a new pastor at an existing church, he takes that church, the adage goes this way, those who most want you to come will also be those who most want you to leave. They tend to turn on you. And sometimes it only takes about two, three years. Like some pastorates only last two to three years. It's really, really sad. But Jesus set a record. <laughs> one sermon, one sermon, and they wanted to kill him. What happened? I don't let you know four things that happened there. The first is this, that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. We have a different way of saying this today. Maybe you've heard this, that an expert is the person from out of town, Right? So your organization is going to have some training, whatever. They don't pick somebody in your midst, right? Because no, there's no experts that live in our hometown. The expert is the person who has to come from out of town. And just because they're out of town, we assume they're an expert. That's some of what Jesus is dealing with. Saying, Jesus, we, we saw you grow up, man. We saw you got, you got splinters from working with the wood. You, you, we know that shack you grew up in. Isn't this the son of Joseph? That's an interesting twist. Because remember, so far, at the baptism, he was the son of God. During the temptation, he was called the son of God. Now, all of a sudden, he's the son of Joseph. Belief has shifted here. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, there's two things we can do that, with that. Number one, we can apply that to our lives. Because I found this is true. Some of you who did not grow up in a Christian environment, a Christian home, 
Jesus invaded your life a little bit later on. You became a real live Christian. How'd that go with your family? Right? And so it's so, I find it so easy to talk about my faith to a stranger on a plane or on a beach or in a coffee shop, but to go back home and talk to my family, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. That's tough. Some of you have experienced that. But I'll tell you what, this isn't really about us. This is about Jesus. Jesus was not acceptable in his hometown, but don't miss this. His hometown's bigger than you think. It's not just about Nazareth. It's about all Israel. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus went to his own and his own did not receive him. And that's not talking about Nazareth. That's talking about Israel. The Jews did not receive him. So this is not just about Christ in Nazareth. This is about the Son of God in Israel and he is not acceptable there. Which really sets up the next point. And it's about the filthy Gentiles. All the other races in the world that the Jews look down on. I've told you already that Luke has an emphasis in his account about the Gentiles. Remember when little baby Jesus was being dedicated at the temple, Simeon came up and he said about Jesus that he would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Luke chapter 2 verse 32. Jesus is going to be about taking this year of the Lord's favor to the Gentiles. And they didn't like that. And they caught a hint of it. When he quoted from Isaiah 61, Jesus stopped short. There's more to that passage. Every time that passage would be read, there's another phrase that would be included. Every Jew was familiar with the passage and included another phrase. The last phrase that Jesus left off was this, and the day of vengeance for our God. Now, Jesus knew the day of vengeance was coming. It was just not yet. That's still coming. It hasn't come yet. Jesus said that's another day. This day is all about liberty and grace and good news and freedom and favor. But the problem the Jews would have with that is this. They thought the Messiah was going to come once as a military conquering Messiah to kick Rome's butt. They wanted the day of vengeance of God, not on them, but on all the Gentiles, on those other races. We want God to kick their butts. And Jesus is saying, look, I am a merciful Messiah. I am a suffering Savior. I'm not a military Messiah. I come with good news, with healing for blindness, setting at liberty the captives. That's what I came for. This is the Messiah saying that he's not here to kick the Gentiles' butts. Instead, he's going to welcome the Gentiles in. And they caught it by him leaving that part off. But then Jesus, you know what? He wants to say, in case you missed it, let me make sure you catch it. And what he went on to do, did you see what he did? He quoted two stories from the Old Testament, and they were parallel stories. Elijah and Elisha. And in both cases, what you have is a prophet of God who went to the people of God. The people of God rejected him, and that prophet went to Gentiles. In both cases, went and brought blessing and healing to Gentiles. Now they're mad. Now they are ripping hot. They don't like it. I hope you caught that, though. This is a hometown issue. And Jesus is not just acceptable, he's unacceptable in Nazareth, but also he's saying in all Israel, uh, this is going to go to the Gentiles. That's the hometown issue. And so they get mad. They get really mad. Why? Because of this third point. 
He is messing with their religion. He is telling a group of good religious people, a whole room full of good religious people, he is telling them, your religion is not good enough. You must be poor, you must be blind, you must be captive. And the Jews are going to say, wait, time out. We're God's chosen people. We are the ones who have God's moral law. We are like committed religious rule followers. We are the good people. We are God's people. And those nasty Gentiles, are you kidding me? Jesus is going to let them in? Which means the good religious people might be out, but if they repent, those Gentiles, they might be in? Good religious people out? Nasty sinners who are repentant in? Oh, no, no, no. They don't like that at all. They want it to be, you know what they want it to be about? They want it to be about morality, politics, and race. They want it to be about morality. We're good and they're bad. They want it to be about politics. We're good, they're bad. They want it to be about race. We're good, they're bad. And Jesus said it ain't like that. And and, and I'll tell you what, that breaks my heart. Let me tell you why. Because how many churches today talk about morality, politics, and race, but they're devoid of the Spirit, they're devoid of the Savior, they have religion, but you cannot find the gospel there. And it's heartbreaking. And Jesus would have none of it. So instead, Jesus comes convicting them and challenging them. They thought they were the people who were okay with God. And all of a sudden, they're under conviction. And they say, look, don't convict us. Don't challenge us. Just give us what we want, man. And so what they're asking Jesus to do is be like Miracle Max. Just hire you to do some tricks for us. Dance, Messiah, dance. Do something for us. So it's, do here what you did in Capernaum. So evidently when Jesus was doing that itinerant thing around Galilee, he stopped in Capernaum. He must have done some miracles there. Word has gotten back to Nazareth. And they're like, hey, do some miracles for us. Do some healing for us. Come on. Give us the goodies. What they want to do is they want to dictate the mission to the Messiah. Don't, don't lead with that gospel stuff. The gospel's so offensive. Can't we just have a good kind of social works program in our church? Everybody loves that. Let's just do some good things, like you did in Capernaum. They're saying, give us the goodies. And men and women, look, this is where it comes home to us. How many of you are saying to God, God, I don't want you to radically change my life. I just want you to give me blank. Fill it in. God, I don't want you to radically change my life. I just want you to give me And it doesn't work like that. Jesus came to radically change your life. He's not just some genie that gives you three wishes and you can run your own life and tell him what to do. Place your order. Jesus came to kill your religion. And they would not have it. They would rather kill Jesus than let Jesus kill their religion. And that's what happened. They tried to kill Jesus. And that's the fourth point we'll talk about. Folks, don't be surprised when the culture around you does not love your Christianity. Do you not understand? That's been going on for about 2,000 years. That's not new. That's not surprising. So they tried to stone Jesus. 
Maybe he didn't catch that. So there's two ways you can stone someone. The first way that we're more familiar with is where you throw stones on people. The second way is where you throw people on stones. It was actually the older, more traditional way. You'd take them up to a cliff and you'd throw them off onto the rocks below to kill them. This was a stoning to kill Jesus. Now, we're not sure how he slipped away. The, the text doesn't say specifically. Maybe this was a miraculous move of the Spirit, right? So maybe they got their miracle after all. It's not the one they were hoping for, right? Maybe the crowd just cooled off. We don't really know. But here's what I want you to catch. Remember, they're trying to kill Jesus. Let's go back to this quote from Isaiah 61. Listen to this. Listen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here's a question. Who wants to kill that? Why would anyone want to kill that? And yet they did quickly. Why? Because Jesus isn't tame. Jesus is not a tame Messiah. He is not a genie that grants you three wishes. He came to radically, wholly change your life. He come, came to challenge your religion. And he's relentless. Like he will keep pushing you until you either love him or hate him. But he will push you until you end up in one of those two camps. Now that's actually good news and here's why. Because if you are part of the broken and the messy, if you are poor and blind and captive and oppressed, you get a Messiah. Jesus came for you. He came to declare to you the year of the Lord's favor. So here's what I want you to do. Quit trying to control him. Quit trying to manipulate him. Quit trying to dictate to the Messiah what his mission should be in your life. Instead, let him be the Messiah he is and let him radically change your life. And for that, I want to pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, I want to start in humility just uh, thanking you that you didn't give me the Messiah that I would have asked for. I would ask for one that I can control. One that does what I say. And, and, and all of us do, Lord. And we repent of that attitude right now. You are God, we are not. You are infinitely wiser than we. And we are grateful that you sent the only Messiah there is, Jesus himself, who came to kill our religion, to set us free. Father, thank you that you, you, you have grace for us. who are We are poor, we are captive, we are blind, and you have grace, you have favor for us. Thank you. And we invite you to radically change our lives to let Jesus be the Messiah that he is in our lives. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.